Michael, this is all very confusing. Isn't playing the market just legalized gambling? I've been getting this question for years. Every time I'm at any type of event, I inevitably meet new people, and when they ask what I do for a living, about 25% of the time, this is the question I get. These days, I just say yes because I've grown tired of explaining the difference. And while I see the correlation between the two, the reality is that there are some very distinct differences. Then, of course, comes Kalshi, and the lines between trading and gambling start to get blurry quick. I'm Remy Bartolotta, and this is On Markets, presented by Darwin Wealth Management and Darwin Asset Management. With me today, I have Chief Investment Officer, Michael Sorrentino. If you have any questions, comments, or just want to shout out on the show, email comments at onmarkets.com or hit me up directly at remy at onmarkets.com. That's R-E-M-Y at onmarkets.com. And if you like our show, please hit the follow button on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or whatever podcast platform you prefer. So let me start by saying that I had never heard of event contract trading before. So when I stumbled upon Kalshi, I thought this idea was just genius. Needless to say, I was excited. But the more I thought it through, the more I realized that I'd be hard-pressed to find a better example of where the line between trading and gambling is so thin. That being said, I can't think of a better way to dissect the concept of financial markets and really bring it down to a level that everybody can understand. So Tino, let's start by talking about Kalshi and event contract trading. Because I was really excited when I saw this. I thought it was like one of the coolest things I ever saw. It's a great concept. I mean, basically what you can do is you can go on to Kalshi. I think it's K-A-L-S-H-I.com. And uh, for all intents and purposes, you can bet on anything. You know, Let's say you want to bet on what the Fed's going to do um, in the next meeting, uh, whether they're going to raise interest rates or not. Or let's say you want to bet on uh, whether Biden's Build Back Better plan is going to get approved or not. Or I was... <laughs> Preparing for this podcast, I was looking through some of the events you can bet on. I mean, you can bet on uh, on the Harvard Affirmative Action SCOTUS case, uh, income tax hikes, reconciliation bill passes the Senate. You can bet on really anything. You know, it, and to your point, it kind of feels like you're in Vegas, right? You want to bet on uh, UNLV versus uh, Duke or, or whatever, whatever sporting event it might be. And basically what Kalshi's doing is they're making a market in whatever it is that they can make a market in. Uh, you know, if there's some interest, they could submit it. And if Kalshi can quote unquote make a market in that event, then they're probably going to do that. So, I mean, up until now, that pretty much sounds exclusively like gambling. So let's talk about why it actually isn't gambling. And this is really much more trading than it is gambling. Well, you think about, let's start gambling, okay? So let's go to Vegas and let's go to a sports book. A couple of things that I always find interesting about sports books. Now, I, to be uh, full disclosure, I've never once gambled on a sporting event in my entire life because I don't see the appeal, frankly. But there's also another reason why I don't gamble on sports is that I would suck at it. I, I have no edge, right? And if you think about why some people are more successful than others in a market is because a lot of times they have some type of an edge. They either have access to better information, they understand the dynamics of the market, they've got experience, whatever it might be. Although what I find fascinating about a sports book is how accurate those spreads are. I mean, Remy, I don't know if you've noticed, I don't know if you gamble on sports or not, but have you noticed how freakishly accurate those over and under point spreads tend to be? It's frightening. You know, I'm, I'm with you, Tino. I'm not 
really big into into gambling or, or sports betting or whatever, but I do have some friends that are like really hardcore into it. And there are times, you know, they'll be talking about the spread on this game, the spread on that game, and I'm like, man, this sounds crazy. Like, you know, one team is infinitely better than another team and yet the spread's only like three points and there's no shot this doesn't seem right and yet the game ends and and it ends at you know at a three-point differential so yeah i don't know how they do it but you're right it is freakishly accurate yeah and 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 a lot of times what it is is just a lot of people in a market together think about the dynamics of a market a quote-unquote market you know, the more participants you have in a market, the more information, the more, uh, more market makers you have, the liquidity in a market, okay? the ease of buying and selling or, or placing a bet, whether it's an investment or a true bet on a sporting team, something like that. All of those different dynamics determine the maturity of a market. Okay? And generally speaking, the more mature a market is, the more established a market is. Frankly, the less opportunity you have for alpha or some type of outsized return. So I think one of the things that Kalshi has kind of tapped into here is saying, look, you know, if you go to the stock market, if you go to Vegas, right? If you go to one of these quote-unquote very large markets, the commodities markets, uh, you're, you're dealing with a lot of participants who are arguably much better informed than you are. Kalshi said, you know what? Let's make smaller markets. Let's make less efficient markets. Ironically, they do appear to be <laughs> regulated by the CFTC, the Commodities Future Trading Corporation, which is interesting because that that actually adds to the credibility of the, of the market we could talk about that later but they basically said look if you want to try to generate some alpha if you think you've got an edge in a smaller market let's say for example <laughs> this is a good one you can bet on the permanent daylight savings time bill becomes a law all right so if you think that you've got an edge there some way shape or form uh, you can participate in the market and hopefully make some money so where Kalshi really sort of takes this a step further is that in general when you're gambling, you're making a bet, right? It's a, it's a binary decision. I either think this thing's going to happen or I don't. I put my money down and it either happens or it doesn't. But what I noticed with Kalshi is they're not actually taking a bet. They're actually selling you the contract to cash in on whatever decision that you're making or, or lose, I guess, for that matter, right? But what I thought was really cool about them is that as the event gets closer... Obviously, your odds begin to change because the more information is out there, you know, you get new information, so on and so forth, and you can actually trade your contracts, right? So this sort of brings you much closer to the way the stock market works and what's happening in financial markets versus what's happening in Vegas, right? If I'm saying, okay, well, that example that you just gave, Tino, with the the daylight savings time bill, uh, you know, I don't know what the odds are, but let's say it's 50-50 shot, right? And I say, okay, well, I'm betting that it's going to happen. So I buy, you know, whatever contract uh, that Kalshi's selling that says, no, this is not going to happen. Okay, I own that. And let's say, I don't know what the cost is, but let's say it's a dollar per contract. So let's say I buy 100 contracts. Right. As it gets closer, I don't know when they decide on this bill, but you know, let's say some additional information comes out that whoever the deciding uh, vote is going to be has already come out on Twitter and says, you know what, uh, I'm going to pass this and it's going to be a bill. Well, you know, the odds have significantly changed. So I may say, well, it was a 50-50 shot when I bought my 100 contracts for $100, but at this point, it looks like you know I'm going to lose. So. I have a choice. I can either just hold on to my contracts and you know risk the loss, which looks very likely, or I can go out and I can find somebody that might want to buy my contracts at a discounted price, 
right? And I can at least walk away with something. So maybe I can sell them for 10 cents a piece or 50 cents a piece or whatever. So maybe you know, instead of losing $100, I'll lose $90, right? It's still a loss, but you know, I've walked away with something. I've mitigated my loss. And somebody else may, you know, obviously has taken that bet and said, you know what, I can pick up 100 contracts for only 10 bucks. You know, I realize it's a high risk, but there is still a potential that maybe this guy changes his mind or whatever, so on and so forth. This is much closer and much more analogous to the way that the financial markets work versus the way that Vegas works. Yeah, I mean, it's identical to how commodities contracts look. There, think about the, there are two types of buyers in commodities uh, markets, all right? really only two. There are those that, that actually produce the commodity and they want to lock in a future price, right? So let's say I, I don't know, let's say I have an orange grove in, in Florida and I've got my orange crop that's coming up uh, in the next couple months and I'm worried about price fluctuation. I could sell my orange crop before I actually harvest it, right? Something like that. So, and on the flip side of that, let's say I'm a buyer of oranges. Let's say I'm Minute Maid or, or a company that needs a lot of oranges. I don't want to take the risk of price fluctuation. I'll be on the other side of that trade. I'll, I'll buy my supplies or my, my oranges before I actually need them. So that's been the commodities market going back, I don't know how, at this point in the, in the United States for a very long time, well over 100, 150 years, something like that. There's another type of player in that market, and those are speculators. Okay, those people that don't necessarily want oranges. Okay, let's say that you know my best buddies are all Orange Grove people, and I know nothing about oranges, but you know it's something like that where I think I could actually make I get in there trade oranges. And to your point, buy them because I think you know the market's not pricing the fact that it's going to be a bumper crop this year or something like that, and you know hold on to that contract. But guess what? I don't want to necessarily take delivery of a bunch of oranges. Or for that matter, I don't want to have to deliver a bunch of oranges because guess what? I don't have any, right? So I want to be able to sell that contract before it actually comes due to profit and transfer that requirement of fulfilling uh, that order to somebody else. So the the, the speculation part of the market sounds uh, like it's a flaw or a bug of the market. And I actually don't agree. I think it's actually a very strong component of the market because it provides more information in that market, okay? But at the same time, it provides more liquidity. And the ability to take that contract, like you said, and say, you know what? I've made my money or I want to close out my trade or whatever it might be. Your ability to do that is very important. So to have Calshi being regulated by the same regulators that, that oversee the commodities markets is interesting because it then treats these contracts in a nearly identical way, all the way down to even having clearing houses in place to make sure that these trades are going to happen. Right? You don't want to be in a situation where what we call counterparty risk. Okay, if I'm buying and, and Remy you're selling, uh, we got to make sure that we're both good for the money. Right? And being regulated by the CFTC allows Kalshi to, I assume, ensure that these trades, these contracts that are being traded, get through through their clearinghouses to make sure that uh, buyers and sellers get what they're looking for. So I'm on their website right now, and they actually have a Q&A. And in their Q&A, one of the questions is, is this gambling? And <laughs> Which I love. So <laughs> here's how they're defining uh, that it's trading versus gambling. One is that it's informed, right? And this is what we've been talking about, right? There's a lot of information out there and it's somewhat dependent on you to go out and get that information and apply it in a way that makes sense to you. But it's not just, you know, I'm 
pulling a lever and you know hoping that I get three cherries, right? That's one. The second, and this is a, a good point, the incentives. Right? And I'm going to read this directly off their website. When you gamble, you are betting against the house whose revenue is generated by customer losses. This creates a variety of bad incentives around customer protection. Calshi, like any other financial exchange, example, New York Stock Exchange or commodities market, makes money through trading fees. And that's a pretty important distinction. right? And, and not only is it an important distinction, but it really sort of um, drives home a comment that you made earlier, Tino, that they're making a market. So maybe you can sort of explain what that means, making a market. Yeah, so you can make quote unquote make a market in anything, okay? Which has been proven. You can make a market in stocks. You can make a market in oranges. Uh, I'm looking at Kalshi. You can bet on the next COVID variant. Uh, you, you can make a market in anything if you have willing buyers and sellers. So think about it from this perspective. Let's use a bookie. You know, I'll, I'll use a, an example that's near and dear to my heart. So when I was a freshman in college, I went to the school that uh, frankly had a lot of rich kids in it. And one of these rich kids who drove like a crazy Range Rover, who was 18 years old, had a Rolex, like all this stuff, right? He, he didn't need to do this. He decided one day he wanted to become a bookie. Now, mind you, I went to school with a lot of like dorks and geeks and stuff like that. These are not the type of people you would need to ever worry about in a violent or aggressive situation. So you kind of see where I'm headed with this. He decided to become a bookie. Now, bookies generally speaking, are successful because they're market makers, right? They make their money on the spread, right? They try to match up buyers and sellers. So if they have 50 bets on Duke, they're going to try to offset those bets with UNC and they're going to earn their money on the spread between those two, okay? So if they have more buyers or sellers, they're going to adjust that spread between choosing Duke versus UNC, okay? It's what we call a bid-ask spread. It's like when you buy Apple or you buy Facebook or whatever the stocks in the stock market, the price to buy and sell is a little different. And that difference is where that quote unquote market maker is earning their spread. So a good bookie or a smart bookie rather is going to make their money on the spread. Now what this guy did was he said, you know what? I'm going to become a principal trader as well. What he meant by that is I'm going to start putting my own money to work. He didn't make his money just in the spread. He was trying to take one side of that trade. So he thought the Duke was going to win. He thought UNC was, was going to win, whatever it might be. So he also kind of got into the action a little bit. And well, that lasted for about six months. And then he ended up owing a lot of people a lot of money. He didn't have it. And he just magically disappeared from school one day. Joking aside, that's ultimately what a market maker is. They're nothing more than somebody that could go in and say, look, I'm going to make a market. I'm going to attract buyers and sellers, and I'm going to facilitate that buying and selling. I'm going to offer liquidity. I'm going to offer inventory. And at any given point, if somebody wants to buy or sell, I'm going to make sure that happens. And that's all Calshi is. They're saying, look, if you want to bet on the outcome of the next COVID variant, okay, great. We'll make a market in that. And based on the demand or the number of people that are coming into that market, we're going to adjust that bid-ask spread accordingly. So, Tino, that's a, a very important distinction because that differs dramatically from how true gambling works or from how Vegas works. So maybe you can touch on that a, a little bit too so we can really drive home the difference here. Yeah, I think the difference here is that when if you go, let's say you go play blackjack or craps or roulette, whatever it might be, those games are rigged. Okay, they are. You're going up against the house. They're designed over time. Statistically speaking, you're going to lose. 
um, it is more of a game. You know, when you sit down at a roulette wheel, for example, it's not like you're being matched. Your bet on black is not being offset by some other participant at the wheel, or generally speaking, it isn't, uh, at least directly. The house, the person running the roulette wheel, they're not earning their economics on the difference between a buy and sell order. They've created a game that over time, statistically, you cannot win. You just mathematically speaking, you can't win. Uh, Kalshi and you know these types of markets, the betting markets, which I ironically call them betting markets, they're not rigged per se. Now, are they always right? No. I mean, there's. I'll give you an example. Kalshi is doing something interesting, but there have been markets for for a very long time. It's very liquid. It's very established. And guess what? It's almost always wrong. Okay. So, p- to be very clear here, markets are a place for buyers and sellers to meet. It isn't a place to predict in any way, shape, or form the future. You know, A more established market doesn't necessarily mean it's a better or clearer crystal ball. And again, the, the second piece to that is information, right? When you're going to Vegas, you know, and you used roulette as an example, you know, if I put you know, all my money on red or I actually don't know how it works. Black, white, and green. I think I, I think red. Maybe I just made up. But um, it goes to show you how often I go to Vegas and Campbell. But you know, let's say I put all my money on black. I don't have any additional information than the guy sitting next to me. And even if I did, it's irrelevant because it is one hundred percent chance, right? There's no way I can do any type of research. There's nobody that I can talk to. There's no way that I can apply any type of knowledge that is going to change the outcome of that roulette spin. Right? And that truly is gambling. Whereas, you know, when we're talking about event contracts, which the average person probably has no control over what's going to happen, but yet there's a lot of information out there. Right? There's a lot of different ways that you can apply that information to come up with different conclusions and different outcomes. And essentially, you know, while yeah, no, nobody really knows what's going to happen, you know, your ability to predict what's going to happen is significantly increased. Yeah, think about it this way. You, you mentioned the roulette wheel. You ever seen that board where they list all the prior roles and so you get an idea of whether it's been red or black and how many reds and how many blacks and stuff like that. And it's a gimmick, right? They that that that's a way to get gamblers to think that they can get some type of an informational edge. Oh, there's been five blacks in a row. There's no way it's going to be black again, right? Statistically speaking, it's always going to be what it is. All right, it's not fifty-fifty, but it's you know it is what it is. Whereas if you think about a market, though, like I say, a market with Kalshi, there is actual real information getting priced into that market. Okay, now it might not be right per se, but those bid and ask spread between buy and sell, that is a function of information and liquidity and the number of participants being priced in the market. It's no difference than a point spread at a game or the over-under in a game. All right? There's information being priced into that over-under, that point spread, whatever it might be, in the same manner. That is dramatically different than going to the roulette wheel and looking at that ridiculous board saying, okay, well, there's no way a red could come up because the last nine have been black. So back to Kalshi, as it relates to gambling versus trading, what's the bottom line? I'd say the bottom line is if you feel like you've got an edge in a market, use it. And one of the things that Kalshi, I think, is offering people is the ability or the opportunity, rather, to go in and either create a market or participate in one 
where you might have an opportunity to generate alpha. I think it's very interesting. I think it, when you compare it to, let's say, a large market like the stock exchange or the, here in the U.S., which is a very efficient market, uh, it's very hard to generate alpha consistently. Well, if you want to generate alpha, you have to go into more inefficient markets or smaller markets uh, where an edge or informational edge can offer some value. So, look, if you feel like you got an edge somewhere, yeah, I'm not endorsing Kalshi. You know, we have nothing to do with it with the company itself. But I think it's a very fascinating idea to be able to go somewhere and either create a market or jump into one that exists and try to make some money. Maybe we can create a market. Any ideas? Oh, I've got a lot. Maybe we should do an over under on how many podcast listeners we're going to get each week. And then you know what I'd do? Whatever the bet is, I'd go in and manipulate the numbers. I'd start, I, I'll do what Twitter does, right? Just create a bunch of bots and then assign those bots to the <laughs> whatever the side of the tree that's going to make me money. <laughs> Just drive our listenership up. I love it. <laughs> this podcast is created and presented by Darwin Asset Management, LLC and Darwin Advisors, LLC, collectively referred to as Darwin. Darwin does not make any representation or warranties and therefore takes no responsibility as to the accuracy, timeliness, suitability, completeness, or relevance of any information contained in this podcast. Any tax or legal information contained in this podcast is general in nature. Always consult an attorney or tax professional regarding your specific legal or tax situation. The information presented does not involve the rendering of personalized investment advice. Different types of investments involve varying degrees of risk, and there can be no assurance that any investment or strategy will be suitable or profitable for a client's portfolio. All investment strategies have the potential for profit and loss. Past performance may not be indicative of future results. Information presented is not an offer to buy or sell or a solicitation of any offer to buy or sell the securities mentioned herein.